The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, uh, chapter 9, chapter 6. We're going to be um, being there most of, most of my session, so you can just keep it open as you, as you follow along. It might be helpful to you. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Down to verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ warns his disciples about performing religious acts in order to be noticed by men, he makes two things abundantly clear. Number one, he expects his followers to pray. Verse 6 said, and when you pray. When you pray. Number two, all public prayer must be deeply rooted in private prayer. Let me say that again. All public prayer must be, deep, must be deeply rooted in private prayer. Verse six also says, go into your room and shut the door. Now, he is not prohibiting public prayer, obviously, There are clearly many examples of godly public prayer in Scripture. Even this morning when Pastor Caleb brought up Daniel. In fact, it's the opposite. He opens his window so people would see, but he was running counterculture at that time. He was praying openly because he didn't care what the world thought, not to make them see him and bow at his feet. And even the Lord's Prayer, somebody brought it up before when Caleb asked about examples of prayer in Scripture. Even the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching, but he's also praying. So the Lord's Prayer is an example of public prayer. But here Jesus is revealing the motives, the hearts of men. It's the praying to be seen by others that's prohibited. Amen? And if you or I are more eager to be called upon to come up here and pray 
then you ought to pray it in your bedroom, then clearly we have a problem. Before we get into the actual prayer this morning, I would like to point out two things as well. Heeding Jesus' warning in the first few verses of Matthew 6, we are not to simply memorize the Lord's Prayer and recite it mindlessly as a religious exercise or worse yet, as a way to atone for our sins. Now, I nor the elders of RGF are prohibiting the heartfelt word-for-word recitation of the prayer as true prayer. You can certainly do that. And as a church, we on occasion would do well to stand and pray the Lord's Prayer together in unison. But we need to understand what we're saying and why we're saying it. It's the ritualistic, religious, empty recitation that we would advise against. Number two, the second issue I would like to raise before we begin is that the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. And as a model, it is not comprehensive in its scope. In other words, there are important subjects that are absent from the Lord's Prayer, such as thanksgiving, for example, or specifically praying for the salvation of friends and family, or asking for the grace to repent from, un, from confessed sin and to turn from unconfessed sin. Now, I do believe the basis for these requests are contained in here, and I will address them as I move through the text of the prayer. So without further ado, the Lord's Prayer as a model for personal prayer. Now, this prayer can be divided into two sections containing three petitions each. Section number one, concerning God. Petition one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Petition two, your kingdom come. Petition three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then section two, concerning man. Petition four, give us this day our daily bread. Number five, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And number six, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as we begin, keep in mind our goal, and that is to understand the parts of the Lord's Prayer and use it as an outline or a model for our personal prayer time. Amen? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we begin our Father. Now, this covers all the requests that will follow concerning God and concerning man. We're approaching God as father we can address god as father because as christians we have been adopted in the beloved and as his children we can boldly and reverently approach the throne of grace amen now paul washer relates this analogy i'm going to put a picture up for a second famous photo i'm sure most of us have seen it before we have, of course, John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States. And peeking out, kind of looks like Ace, I think. But peeking out from below is John, John, right? John F. Kennedy Jr. So here is the Oval Office. I was speaking with my mother-in-law before, and they're taking my son Logan uh, to Washington, D.C., and they're trying to get him to the White House. 
And if, you, if you've ever tried to get in, you know how difficult. You have to write your congressman. It's a, it, after 9-11 especially, it's, it's really hard to get in there. So she has to go through certain steps to be able to even get into the White House. If you look at this picture, he's making – this guy arguably, as all presidents of the United States are, is the most powerful man in, in the world. And under his desk, there he is playing at his father's feet with his toys. How amazing is that? From the lesser to the greater, how much more amazing is it that we, redeemed yet still sinners, can approach the all-consuming fire that is the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, and speak to him calling him Father. Most powerful man on the world. Tragically, we know he was assassinated. Can't happen to God the Father all-consuming fire. Yet we, because of Christ, have his ear. The same God that flooded the entire earth condescends to hear our feeble prayers. Do not gloss over this. Do not lose sight of this. It's amazing grace. Okay, you could take it down because everybody's looking at John John's face. <laughs> our Father. As we said already, all following petitions are under the address of our Father. So section one, concerning God. Our Father in heaven. Begin prayer with worship. In heaven, in other words, above all things. Creator of all that is. In absolute authority. This is obviously figurative on Jesus' part because God is not confined to a place, even heaven. In 2 Chronicles 2, verses 5 and 6, Solomon, before beginning work on the temple, says this of God. He says, The house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. Saying God is in heaven is another way of proclaiming his authority, his status above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. Psalm 115 verse 3 proclaims, Our God is in heavens. He does all that he pleases. Begin prayer with worship. With worship. Now continuing in worship, we come to our first petition. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Literally, Father, make your name holy. Exalt your name. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came down from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And that was a conversation between the Father and the Son in John 12, 28, as he prayed, and a voice came down from heaven. Yes, I will, and I will again. This is straightforward, direct worship of God. Psalms such as Psalm 148, 49, and 150 are great examples of songs of worship to our God and King. In the Lord's Prayer, we are called to petition the Father to glorify himself and to spread his name and his fame throughout the world. Caleb mentioned the book of Habakkuk before. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from Habakkuk chapter 3. And in verse 2, Habakkuk prays, Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. 
Lord. Continue in worship. Our Father, infinite fellowship with the creator of all things. In heaven, worship him and acknowledge his sovereignty. Hallowed be your name. Petition him to glorify himself. So in our model of prayer, as a first request, plead with him to magnify his own name concerning God. Now, this first petition, hallowed be your name, leads seamlessly into the second one. And as we continue to ask him to glorify himself by praying this, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We ask for his kingdom to arrive. We ask for him to be inaugurated. You see, Jehovah is king. He is king. He says to Old Testament Israel, they have rejected me from being king over them. 1 Samuel 8, 7. Yahweh is the king of all kings. He puts them in power and he displaces them. He rises them up and then he puts them down. That is unarguable. That is undeniable. Scripture is clear on that. The issue is, what will this kingdom look like? Or what is it? And sorry to say, we're not going to answer it perfectly here. Our purpose this day at this session is to take this petition from this prayer and apply it to our personal prayer life. Not to exhaust all the possible meanings of the word kingdom. If you want the definitive answer... Ask Caleb after the service. He will give you the exact answer. And he'll answer any topic you want. But seriously, the gospel, can, uh, the, the kingdom can refer to many, many different things. That for hundreds of years, people have been debating what exactly it means. Could it mean the gospel? Could it mean the church? Could it mean a Christian worldview? Could it be a theonomic nation with God's law? Could it mean the second coming of Christ? All these options need exploring, but that's not our focus this this afternoon. The focus is to pray that his kingdom comes and then to apply it to our prayer life. So me, I am going cautiously to put forth a three-point working definition of the word kingdom so we can immediately apply it to our daily prayer. So kingdom, number one, the kingdom refers to the salvation of God's elect people from every tribe from every tongue, people, and nation, gathered together in spirit as one people, as loyal subjects of his kingdom, bowing to his rule. I'll say it again. Kingdom refers to the salvation of God's elect from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, gathered together in spirit as one people, loyal subjects of his kingdom, and bowing to his will. Number two, kingdom refers to the willing, cheerful, obedient, Inward, heartfelt submission to God by believers in Christ, which is the church. The kingdom refers to the willing, cheerful, obedient, inward, heartfelt submission to God by believers in Christ, which is the church. And number three, kingdom refers to the constrained, obedient, and outward submission to God by unbelievers. Let me say it again. Kingdom refers to the constrained, obedient, outward submission to God by unbelievers. We'll get back to that. First, let's go to the salvation of the elect. 
Now, as we pray that his kingdom comes, we're praying that God would save his people by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And herein lies the request to save people. So when we're coming to God with him as our main focus and his glory and his kingdom, we're going to pray for the salvation of our friends, of our family, of our co-workers, of our neighbors, of our enemies. We're going to pray for salvation. Our heartfelt desire to see his kingdom come and to add souls to the church day by day. That he, We always pray, well, advance your kingdom on this island. What does that mean? Save people so that they may willingly give you glory amen next in the heading of may your kingdom come we pray for the existing church for one another what do we pray we pray that we would cheerfully obey him submitting to his kingship right from the heart amazing story that caleb told us before on the boat where odysseus right He gets past it, but it's not from the heart. He wants the sin. He wants the sirens, right? And then we hear, who was singing? Frederick? What was his name? It was Jason. Who was the singer? Someone was singing. Okay. I don't know where I got Frederick from. He offered a better song, okay? So we want to obey from the heart because we love him. So we're moving and we're praying that God would give us the ability to cheerfully and willingly submit to his kingship from our hearts. That's called the fruit of saving grace. The new heart of flesh that now desires to serve its king. Not under compulsion, because we want to. May God do that in our lives. Calvin adds that when we pray this, we ought to start with ourselves and humbly cry out, change me, start with me. Not because I'm prideful and I want to be first, but because I'm the most wicked person I know. Change me first, then change my brothers and sisters. It's sanctification, being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray that those who already know the Lord would be strengthened by him, being shining examples to the world and be obedient to his will, especially the Great Commission. It's a circle. We go back to the first point, spreading the gospel. We might be shining examples. We might be obedient to spreading his word. We might share the gospel. He might save people. And then the kingdom comes. That's point two. And finally, kingdom referring to the constraint of the wicked. This is an interesting one, interesting one. We need to pray for God to restrain the evil of the wicked by God's common grace to outwardly obey and to at the very least not hinder the spread of the gospel and to become peaceful members of society. And this is a big one, especially in 21st century America, that the unbeliever and the believer alike would agree to call evil evil and good good. Amen? Even if they come to different conclusions on how to arrive at good, namely the gospel, that we would agree what evil is and what good is. That there would be a standard that we can all follow, which would be God's will. So pray that God will restrain the wicked so his kingdom might come. And this second petition that God's kingdom would come is further realized in the third petition as we continue our Godward focus. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray that God's will would be done. 
Now, before we explore and apply this petition, we should rightly ask ourselves, and Caleb brought it up before, why should we ask God to do something that we know biblically must happen, right? His will must happen. Romans 9 clearly teaches that no one can resist his will. Why would you ask someone to do something they're already going to do? It's like my wife asking me to make coffee in the morning. There's no way I'm not going to make coffee. There's nothing you can do. You don't have to beg me to do it. I mean, that's ridiculous, but it's true. So why should we ask God, accomplish your will if he's going to do whatever he wants? Well, that is obviously true of his secret will, of his decretal will, of his complete and utter sovereignty that he holds over all things as he ordains the end from the beginning. And it's in his secret will, as we know, where his election falls, where the times and epochs like the second coming reside, where his providence rests, and which includes the sinful disobedience of wicked men. But that's a secret will. But we have another will, which is called his revealed will, which is the word of God. And it's here, I believe, is what the Lord Jesus is referring to. What's his perceptive will? What about his law? What about his rules? What about his worldview? So as we dive further into the third position, keep in mind that while he has a secret will and it will be accomplished, his commands and standards revealed in Scripture are often disobeyed. Just look around you. Well, not in here. Well, maybe in here. But look around you in the world. Is his will being followed? What about in the pages of Scripture? Even his Old Testament people, the nation of Israel, did they follow his rules? No. Does that mean his will was being thwarted? No. But his revealed will was being disobeyed. So we will pray that his will be done. And one last word. Even if we would allow that the word will means his sovereign will, we can and still should pray that his will be done. Why? Because God commands us to. And number two, because he uses our prayer as means to accomplish his will. Amen? Just ask Abimelech when in Genesis chapter 20, God came to him personally in a dream and he accused him of sin. What did he tell Abimelech to do? If you know the story, he told Abimelech to go find Abraham and have Abraham pray for him that he would be healed. That seems about a roundabout way. You have God to whom you've offended telling you to go to a man to pray for you so that I'll heal you. Abraham's prayer at that moment were the means that God used to not strike Abimelech. So we are to pray. May your will be done. But we don't stop there. The Lord's prayer says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are to pray that God's rule, his presence and his reign would infiltrate this dark world, this wicked country, this state, this county, this town, this church, And that he may glorify himself by exerting his authority here. So much so that he would cause human beings to obey him as perfectly as the holy angels do in heaven. Like the angels that have never sinned obey him in heaven. That is a standard that's unattainable in and of ourselves. This is the goal that's impossible. Yet, this is the heart of the man Christ Jesus. And as his disciples, it needs to be our hearts as well. Think about this. When was the last time you wept over the world's despising of God's word? When is the last time 
that you, you focused on the reality that he was not being sanctified for people around you. Jesus Christ cared greatly for his father's name. Thus, he instructs us to pray that God would move his people to obey. And that's known as his common grace poured out to all the world to one degree or another. That his grace common would constrain, restrain, and enable people, his whole creation, to obey him. Much like he prevented Abimelech, poor Abimelech, from sinning more against him. He says, I have kept you from sinning against me. There's an example of God uh, reaching down and preventing a pagan from not sinning more against him. That's God's common grace. You've heard the saying, we all could be as bad as Hitler, but we're not, but we all could. God's restraining grace is on the world at large. It wasn't on him to a degree, but I'm, I'm sure he could be worse. I heard a story. He's probably nice to his dog. Was that passage in that said that? He's probably a, nice to somebody, but he's always the standard, right? The bad standard. His common grace is on all of us because in our wicked hearts, we could all get to that depth. Amen. So let's stop and apply it right now. Section number one of the Lord's Prayer, we are to begin with worship of the Father, our Father. And we're acknowledging his sovereignty, our Father in heaven. Then we're going to petition him to set apart his name as holy. Hallowed be your name. You follow this when you're praying that you would, he would invade his creation with his royal reign, that he would save sinners, that he would sanctify believers, and he would restrain other unbelievers. Your kingdom come. Then, number three, ask him to advance his kingdom by praying that the entire world would respond in angelic obedience to his revealed will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this concludes the first half of the Lord's Prayer, section one, which is concerned primarily with God and his glory. As a side note, when we go to the Lord in prayer, especially privately, what do we jump to ourselves? Even if our requests aren't selfish, we're focusing on ourselves and our needs first. So if you follow the pattern or the model of the Lord's Prayer, we start with the worship of God solely, even if it includes the salvation of people, which is good for them, or our sanctification, which is good for us, or a peaceful society, which is good for everyone. But its primary focus is the Lord. So begin with worship of Lord of the Lord. But now we go on to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, section two, which is concerned mainly with man, with ourself, and with others. But obviously, as you're going to see, as you can guess already, there's going to be an overlap because we're always concerned with God and his glory as primary. And in praying, like I just said, that his kingdom would come, it's going to benefit people as well. But as we move on to section number two, we turn our attention to ourselves and our needs. But always remember maintaining the posture that all good gifts come from the hand of God, and that is more worship. So part two, petition number four. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this petition includes all daily needs, food, clothing, shelter, health, work, money. The key word here is daily. 
Later in the chapter, the Lord Jesus commands us not to worry about the needs of the body. He says to focus first on the kingdom of God. Does it sound familiar, the kingdom of God? And that those other things will be provided later or they will be added unto you. He then warns us this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Just concentrate on today, daily. Did you ever wonder when you sat down to eat a meal, especially if you were brought up in a Christian home? I wasn't, but uh, raise your hand if you were brought up in a Christian home. Okay. Did you ever wonder when you sat down to eat a meal and began to pray, thanking God for that meal, if praying once in the morning would have sufficed for the whole day? I think that now. How about once per week or month or season or year or forever? Bless all the meals that I'm ever going to have. Please provide for my entire life. It sounds silly, but you think about those things, right? But seriously, in the morning, pray for the needs of the day ahead of you. And in the evening, pray for the needs of the coming morning. And while you're at it, give thanks for the Lord's providence for the day that just ended. And in the morning, give thanks again for the many blessings he bestowed on you the day before. Day in, day out, day in, day out, evening and morning. Brothers and sisters, daily thanks is a necessary thing. Just like daily requests are necessary for the needs of the body and the needs of the day, thanksgiving is an indispensable part of prayer. So this is where we're going to insert thanksgiving into the Lord's Prayer. But it's there. Now, personally, I am not a proponent of timing your private prayer time, okay? A lot of people, I'm going to share that they struggle with praying or some people need to tell everyone how long they pray, which I think falls into his condemnation in the first verses of chapter 6. But let me say this in love, in love. It's okay to know how long you pray privately, but I think public prayer, which isn't my focus, but just saying it in love, is a completely different matter. I believe it's rude and selfish to go on and on in public prayer meeting while others are waiting their turn to approach the throne. I believe in a public prayer meeting, the ABC rules of praying apply. ABC, be audible, be brief, and be Christ-centered. ABC, audible, everyone should be able to hear you. Be brief, and be Christ-centered for public prayer, okay? That being said, your private prayer time can be as long as you want. However, many of you have shared with me personally your struggle to spend quality time with the Lord in prayer. And so hopefully this will help you right now. People come to me and say, I run out of things to pray. My mind wanders. Well, if that's you, this petition, this petition will help you. As you can see, I've included in this prayer thanksgiving. And we haven't even asked for our daily needs yet. We're thanking him for providing the previous day. So what are some things to give thanks for? This is a teaching. It's not a sermon. What's something you give thanks for? Yes. Life. For being alive. Health. Children. No one's going to say spouse. 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 Thank you, Luke. Give him a hug. From the great things for good health to a, a job that provides ample time for you to spend with your family and with your church family to silly things. Again, I, I mentioned coffee. I thank God for the coffee. I thank God for my car. Yes. 
Answered prayer, definitely. We could go on all day. We won't, but we can because the list never ends. It never ends. This can take a long time because we have a lot to be thankful for. So if you're struggling and you're honest saying, look, I don't know what to pray for. When you're thanksgiving, God, thanksgiving, you can go on forever and thank him for every little thing. Because his, his blessings are so abundant to us, especially for those in Christ. Eternal life could stop there. Anything else is added to that. So thanksgiving is an integral part when we pray for our daily bread. Now, on to asking for daily bread. Just like kingdom, people have differing views. It might be debatable. There are many godly people who believe daily bread refers to the word of God. And they quote Matthew 4.4. 4. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is entirely possible. Jesus could be instructing us to seek God's wisdom from his word daily for daily living. And I get that and I can see that. And we are to read his word daily for strength for the day, for wisdom for the day. So I believe that is included and can be included here, but I would not eliminate the prospect that you're praying for food, shelter, clothing, and for health. I think that is completely, not only within the bounds of allowance, that is what he's talking about here. Needless to say, be that as it may, the point behind the prayer, either way you interpret the word bread, is that you rely on God and pray for it daily. In other words, you pray for him to sustain you anew every single day, both physically and spiritually. So this petition for daily bread is for your needs, for your family's needs, for the church's needs, and all manner of prayer requests. And this also can take a whole load of time, which again is fine in the private setting. That's why, again, when we have a prayer meeting, usually there's a topic. Usually we're going to pray for the persecuted church or we're going to pray for evangelism on Long Island. So it doesn't mean it's inappropriate to pray for your stubbed toe, but that might not be the time to pray for it. Not that God will say, I don't want to hear that now, but for the sake of those with you, that's why we give a topic for our structured prayer, congregational prayer gatherings. And if you know me, I pray for my toes all the time, so it's not like I'm putting it down. (laughs) But like I said before, and this is convicting to me as well, most of the time when we talk about private prayer, we go right for our needs. And we we skip section one, praying that his name will be glorified. So praying for our daily bread leads so quickly into petition number five which also may take up a bulk of your time depending on how wicked and depraved you are. It's, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Number five, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, as you know, Luke 11 records a very similar prayer. Some, um, some um, commentators believe it's the same event. Some think it's a different event. But there is a Lord's Prayer very similar to this in Luke chapter 11. And in that text, It says, forgive us our sins, not our debts. But the same meaning exists in both prayers. Sins are debts against God and against men. And they need to be paid. Now, the Christian's debts, thankfully, are paid by Jesus by his death on the cross. Amen? Amen. However, we are still called to confess our sins to one another. We're not quick to amen that. And Caleb, thank, thank you for sharing what you shared before. 
We're not so quick to confess to one another, but you know it's true. First John 1, 9, which he quoted before, John writes, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then James 5.16, James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Here is another place where the Lord's Prayer can be expanded and expanded to take forgive us our sins out of the general and into the specific. And he alluded to that before. I pray every night with my son Logan. He's eight years old. He's the best ever. And when we confess our sins, this is what he prays. And Lord, please forgive me for any unknown sins. It's like in the Old Testament, when you sin unintentionally, here's the... I gave him that option because sometimes we were just struggling to think. And he thinks if he doesn't get in trouble during the day with me or Heidi or at school, he didn't sin. He knows he did. And yet if he can't come up with one, he prays it. So I'm trying to get him out of always saying, and forgive me for any unknown sins. I'm like, we know you have sins, you know. In the same way, don't confess, oh, I messed up today. Don't confess, oh, uh, I missed the mark or I wasn't focused on you. Be just as bold and specific in confessing your sin as you were bold and specific in committing your sin in the first place. And again, during private time, don't get up ready to lead worship and say, oh, you know, I, I hit somebody on the way here and I hit and ran, so I ask your forgiveness. For, I mean, there's a time and a place to confess certain sins. So with your accountability partner or with, you know, but when you're confessing to the Lord and you're confessing to one another, be specific. Be honest, be contrite, and we know from Psalm 51 that a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the Lord will not cast away. He will not despise it. Be specific. And again, as Caleb said before, he sees all things. When you confess to your brother and sister, they're finding out for the first time, but he was there when you did it. Next, after specifically confessing your sins, Ask him, petition him to grant you the ability to forgive anyone that sinned against you. The Lord says this in verse 12, I believe to encourage rather than to threaten you. Okay, I think if he does threaten, it's in verse 15. But in verse 12, he says, forgive us as we've also forgiven others. To use the fact of our forgiving heart as an evidence of grace. Now listen, Now, therefore, our ability to forgive others indicates shows us that we have been forgiven by God. He who has been forgiven much loves much or forgives much. So we can use our forgiveness of others as an evidence of being forgiven ourselves. It's tangible, it's visible, it's something we can hold on to. Down in verse 14, which may not be part of the Lord's Prayer, but it, completely, it, 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 it immediately follows it. Jesus says, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. In harmony with the scripture and the way that God saves and his perfect salvation, how he saves to the uttermost, all of grace, I believe this is teaching that if the evidence is there, if your faith has works to back it up, James 2, you are a recipient of his forgiveness. Not that you can earn his forgiveness by forgiving others. Rather, on the flip side, if you live a life void of forgiveness, that might be an indication that you've never received forgiveness in the first place. That's the warning. That might be the threat. 
or in a more positive light, something to use to examine yourself and your walk. He says, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So as we pray, forgive us our sins specifically. As we forgive those, the fact that we see ourselves forgiving other people, giving God the glory for that, it's like I have been forgiving. I am, I am showing the same mercy that I receive from God to others. So therefore, confess your sins and pray for forgiveness and pray for the grace to forgive others. And I would add, just like I added thanksgiving to the daily bread prayer, ask for the gift of repentance. Another thing that Pastor Caleb brought up, repentance is a gift. Not only initial repentance away from dead idols to the living God, but a daily repentance. He is the one that works the works in us. He is the one that gives us the ability to repent. Ask for the gift of repentance. Ask for the grace and the strength and the will, the desire and the ability to repent of the sins that you just confessed. Even turning away from sin is granted by God's hand. And keeping our sin in mind, this leads us to our final petition of the Lord's Prayer and of this morning. The Lord prays, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These two clauses are two sides of the same coin. We are asking God to not do something and asking him in rather to do the opposite. We're asking him not to do X and he's asking, uh, we're asking him to do Y instead. Firstly, as mentioned before, we know that God would never lead us to sin, but he often allows us to be tempted. In fact, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, the text tells us it was the Holy Spirit that led him into the desert to do what? To be tempted by the devil. And resisting the temptation, Scripture says Jesus was nevertheless tempted, but without sin. In fact, he was tempted in every way we are, yet remained sinless. And how did he get in the desert? The Holy Spirit drove him there. The word temptation in the Lord's Prayer does not specifically indicate an encouragement to do evil. It's more akin to trials in a more general sense. Perhaps something annoying like a flat tire or something more serious like a cancer diagnosis. Something that can arouse sin in our hearts and reactions. So a trial is, is, is an event that can arouse sin in our hearts and reactions. This, the Bible is clear on the fact that God does not tempt anyone to commit sin, but he often allows trials to come our way. So how can we understand this verse and apply it to our prayer this morning? The answer, I believe, is found in the second half of the petition. But deliver us from evil or the evil one, Satan. When trials come, with them comes the opportunity to sin or not to sin. To disobey or to obey. Amen. <laughs> Trials can and are meant by God to refine us, to reveal things about ourselves to ourselves, and to demonstrate his power and grace in us. Let me say it again. Trials can and are meant by God to refine us, to reveal things about ourselves to ourselves, and to demonstrate his power and grace in us. Trials are on the other hand, can also be used and exploited by Satan. Take sinful anger as an example. 
We all know Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Whatever aroused your anger was the trial. Whatever caused the anger, that was the temptation. Okay, you're now angry. Okay, you're angry. Be angry if the reason is valid. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not be sinfully angry. And in no way allow yourself to go to bed angry. Otherwise, you're letting it stir, letting it rage, letting it cool to a nice, low, simmering bitterness. Do not do it. Why not? Well, Paul says it might give the devil a foothold. What are we supposed to do? Stand firm, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. Until when? Until a more opportune time. To what? No. Exactly. It even said that when he left Jesus, for a more opportune time. That's where daily comes in. <laughs> I resisted the devil, he's gone forever. That's why uh, Caleb before very kindly was speaking about the Pentecostal movement in the Charismatic Church briefly and we talked about binding and loosing the devil. Well, when does it get loose? I bound him 10 years ago. That means he's still bound. Even if that were possible, it's daily. I don't think it's possible, but daily, daily come to the Lord. All these petitions overlap. Stand firm and resist the devil. He will flee from you until an opportune time. So what do we need to do? We need to pray daily. Pray that he, the Lord, in that place, in the valley, in the trial, in the temptation, if we're there, that he would deliver us from the evil one. Perhaps the reason that Jesus again brings up lack of forgiveness after the Lord's Prayer when he says, if you do not forgive, you do not be forgiven. After he says, deliver us from evil, is because lack of forgiveness in a believer's life may give Satan a foothold. Maybe that's why he goes back to it. Who knows? Personally, after confessing my sins, I pray, Lord, please lead me in a better way tomorrow. Please lead me in a better way tomorrow. If I'm in the same circumstance, lead me in a better way. That's not implying that he led me in a bad way the first time. God forbid. But I ask him to lead me in a better way than I by myself would take myself. Okay? I know of my own devices. I would go this way. Lord, please lead me that way. So the prayer for deliverance is for God to enable you to stand firm in the midst of trial and temptation so you can endure it and obey. And Caleb quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure what? The temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that part is probably not in your Bible. It was most assuredly added in later manuscripts. But biblically, I don't see anything wrong with returning to direct adulation at the close of our personal prayer time. I usually personally say, I know it's sappy, I say I love you to the Lord. And if it's time for bed, I say good night. Not that he sleeps or needs rest. Or that he's not completely satisfied at all times. But end prayer with the way you begin in worship. So in conclusion... The Lord's Prayer is a model for personal prayer. 
So we begin by approaching the creator of all that is and addressing him as father due to what? The adoption through Christ, our father. We continue by praising him by acknowledging his sovereignty over all creation, our father who is in heaven. Then we begin praising him by petition, by asking him things. What are we going to ask him? That he would glorify his name. Hallowed be your name. Then we pray, petition number two, that he would invade the earth with his kingdom by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, by saving his elect people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Your kingdom come. Next, pray, petition three, that he would cause all creation to submit, to obey and worship him as perfectly as the sinless angels do in heaven causing believers to cheerfully submit, causing unbelievers to submit, whether cheerfully or not, converting the unbelieving elect into the beloved children of God, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, quickly, we switch to our personal needs while still keeping a spirit of humble dependence and worship. Petition four, petitioning him for our daily bread, food, clothing, shelter, salvation, peace, his word. And we Filter that and add thanksgiving. We thank him for his many blessings. Give us this day our daily bread. Then number five, we confess our sins and ask him for the gift of repentance. Forgive us our sins and as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Number six, ask him to lead us in a straight path and when we're tempted to be delivered from the devil's scheme. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then end with adoration. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So take the Lord's Prayer. Use it as a model. It's okay to pray it word for word, but pray with understanding. Use it as an outline for your personal prayer time. Pray through the petitions with understanding. Be eager to run to your Heavenly Father in prayer. And as a Christian, you have his ear. You have his attention. Take advantage of that opportunity. Amen. Amen.